It is such a blessing to worship uh, as the people of God. I think I love that more than just about anything else I can think of. And I love studying the Word of God. I think you know that. We are digging into a fabulous portion of our Bible, uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon, the Big Sermon. It's an amazing uh, part, uh, central part of Jesus' heart and teaching for us. And we've spent the last eight weeks on eight verses. So, And I love that because to, to just stop and take the time and soak in his word is such a a powerfully beneficial thing for us. I've loved it. I hope you have too. Uh, Each week we've approached from a little bit of a different angle, and this will be no different on this weekend. Um, I want to introduce to you um, a version of the Bible that I mentioned last week. It's called The Passion Translation. And uh, that's a picture of it there. It's it's really very new. It's been coming out. Most translations come out over a few years in pieces. And uh, it's an amazing translation. The purpose of it is uh, stated as to reintroduce the passion and fire of the Bible. Uh, it's a paraphrase, uh, but it's, it was done by a fabulous uh, translator who had experience in translation. Uh, as a paraphrase, then, it has a little mo- more words than the Greek. Uh, all of these uh, versions, we looked at that last week, and, and if you click that, I'll show you that there are 204 uh, words in this, which is not the granddaddy of them all. I think we had 267 in one of the versions. But that's from the 109 words in Greek. Uh, I first got a copy of this last year, um, as a gift from my daughter, Tiffany Pastor, and I have to chuckle every time I see the abbreviation TPT, because I think (laughs) Tiffany Pastor translation, and I can't help but think that. But it's really marvelous. I think that you'll uh, enjoy, I think you'll be blessed. And paraphrases are so great for that, just to hear a little differently, especially verses that we've heard our whole lives. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will just do that. And I think that's what has happened in the writers of the paraphrase. They, they heard in a little different way the very familiar passages of Scripture. So this is a paraphrase, and I invite you to just hear from a, a little different angle with some different words. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. What happiness comes to you when you feel your spiritual poverty? For yours is the realm of heaven's kingdom. What delight comes to you when you wait upon the Lord. For you will find what you long for. What blessing comes to you when gentleness lives in you. For you will inherit the earth. How enriched you are when you crave righteousness. For you will be satisfied. How blessed you are when you demonstrate tender mercy. For tender mercy will be demonstrated to you. What bliss you will experience when your heart is pure. For then your eyes will open to see more and more of God. How joyful you are when you make peace. For then you will be recognized as a true child of God. How enriched you are 
when persecuted for doing what is right. For then you experience the realm of heaven's kingdom. How blessed you are. When people insult you and persecute you and speak all kinds of cruel lies about you because of your love for me. So leap for joy since your heavenly reward is great. For you are being rejected the same way the prophets were before you. Now let's stand and let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the joy of your word. I thank you for the passion of your heart. I thank you for the fire of your message. And I pray that, that as we consider these scriptures once again, that you will put into our hearts exactly what you want. Change our hearts exactly the way you want. Oh God, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I've been talking uh, about the rocket science of the kingdom. I think I may be the first to ever talk about the Beatitudes as rocket science, but I've really become compelled with this. I think it's a great way to understand the order of these things that Jesus put in a specific order. Uh, I don't think I ever have realized that as much as I have uh, during this study. These are in a specific order. They happen in a specific order. We have so many ways. Sometimes we'll hand out a pamphlet. This is how you come to know God. And I, I love those things. They're really, really good. This is the one that Jesus wrote. So to me, it's really important. The first thing in our launch is ignition. Uh, we don't, we're not going anywhere without ignition. And it begins with that realization, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When we realize we have nothing and we need everything, that is our beginning. And we can't begin until we make that realization. And the spirit reveals that in us. The second is fuel. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I like the way that, that this was uh, stated in the passion, uh, what delight comes when you wait upon the Lord. Part of that is just realizing there are times in our lives when we don't have what we used to have. That can be a deep time of grief, uh, but that can also be just a loss that we have had, something we've experienced. And in our waiting, uh, he comes in his spirit to fuel us. That's the fueling place for us. The third is thrust. Uh, and that's so important on a rocket blast. But blessed are the meek. It doesn't even sound like it makes sense. But Jesus changed the world through meekness, gentleness. For they shall inherit the earth. It's a thrust that the world doesn't understand. But oh, it makes such a difference. Then we've been talking about trajectory for the past few weeks. God's mission, the trajectory of your launch is defined by position, momentum, path, and purpose. Jeremiah 29, 11 says that there is a, a, a plan for you, and it's not to harm you, not evil, but it is to give you hope and a future. And so our position is in Christ, and it's a position of righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for that righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When we are clothed by his righteousness, that's our position in him. And then we gain momentum. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The more we extend the mercy of Christ, the more we receive the mercy of Christ and then extend the mercy of Christ. He keeps filling up your mercy bucket. Isn't that a good thing? And that's what he desires to do. And then our path. Our path has to be 
based in, in, in a pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Yes, that's a singleness of heart to pursue God. And, and that is a purity of heart in terms of the way we think and all the things of the heart. And that all points toward a purpose. Our, our, our prime directive that we talked about last week. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The peacemakers are not just some ministry off to the side in the church. It is what we are about. He came as prince of peace. He came with this powerful gospel of peace. And so he makes peace with us so that we may extend peace and make peace with others. And then, you know, I think, well, that's really good. That's seven. That's kind of a holy number. Couldn't we be done right there? (laughs) But there's one more. And it, it, it fits so well with our aeronautical image, with our rocket image. The eighth element to be considered is drag. In navigation, the definition, drag is the force that acts in opposition to the direction of motion or to push an object off course. There's resistance. Have you noticed this? Oh, yeah. There's uh, working against us. In the opposite direction, pushing us down, pushing us maybe off course is this thing that we define broadly as as drag. Drag is caused by friction and and differences in air pressure. So the pilots know all about this. I've exhausted pretty much everything I know about it at this point. But but it's uh, caused by friction. Air pressure can cause it. Wind or water currents can push a craft off course. Or change its progress. And here's the thing. Failing to account for drag or currents or air pressure can be disastrous. People ask me all the time. We, you know, we're planning a trip to Israel and we'll be in the class. And they'll say, ah, can I ask, how long is the flight? How long does it take to get there? Well, it depends. It really does. I mean, it can be, I think we've gotten there in seven hours. And we've gone sometimes 11 hours. That's a big difference. Why is that? Headwinds or tailwinds. And in our Christian life, in your launch life, in the journey he's drawn out for you, in the path he has for you, there are these things that work against us. And we know about some of those. You know, at the very beginning, at the point of launch, gravity is the main force that works against us, that works against the motion of the launch. And, and in the combination of, of the first three factors, and especially thrust, we see a breaking away. We're trying to break free from gravity. The very same thing is true in our spiritual mission. It begins to happen immediately when we are saved. When we are launched in our spiritual mission, we fight the gravitational pull of the world. The world is, is holding us down immediately. You get saved and the world is holding you back. And the world is always trying to drag us back, drag us back down. That, that's one thing. But we're talking about something different tonight. John 17, 14 says, I have given them your word. And Jesus is praying for you. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. That's what we're going to be talking about this weekend. Now, here's good news. Would you like some good news? Okay, good. Christ has overcome the gravitational pull of the world if we will receive him by faith. There's nothing in this world that can hold you down except if you surrender to it. If you allow it 
to hold you down. John 1, 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Let's read this out loud together. It's so good. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? It's in that faith. Now we know that (laughs) the world still keeps coming after us. But we have that power that is in us by the righteousness of Christ to overcome. Christ has overcome, but we still have to make some important choices about the world around us. And I think this is where we sometimes get confused. 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world. Well, God so loved the world. Yeah, God was saving the world. He loved every soul in the world. But do not love the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, I love the world. I'm not talking about the souls and the people. I I just love the world. The love of God is not in him. You you know, John never minces words, does he? He gets right to it. For all that is in the world, listen to this, the desires of the flesh and desires of the eyes and the pride of life, thats we can just study and study that, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The desires of the flesh that grip us sometimes, the desires of the eyes, the things we see, I want this, I want that, and the pride of life. I've just, I've just achieved a whole lot and I just lord it over other people, the pride of life. James said it a little bit differently and bluntly. You adulterous people. (laughs) Whoa. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wow. Jesus will come to it again. So we're to be in the world, but not of the world, not lovers of the world. What happens is we're launched and then it's like we just throttle back. I've never heard a mission where they said, we've decided, uh, uh, Johnson Space Center, we've decided to uh, just cut the engines off. But why? Uh, We just decided we kind of liked where gravity would take us. (laughs) It's not going to be so good, right? I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that, do you? So we're not going to throttle back. The pull of the world is always trying to pull us back. A preacher posted something that I saw this week, and it just really fascinated me, this thought. He asked this question, why do you keep trying to get a seat at a table that Jesus would flip over? Oh, boy. And I posted that in a little different phrase. Lord, forgive me for trying to, to get a seat at a table that you would flip over. See, we are to be in the world, but not of the world, John 17. And the truth is that we will never win the world by being worldly. And there's, there's that temptation. If I, if I can just fit in more, if I just look more worldly, if I just take on some of the trappings of the world, if I dress or talk or act or go and party like the world, well, then they'll probably hear Jesus in that. And, and that's not the case. We need to not be of the world and not love the world. But even when we have broken the gravitational pull of the world by faith, 
there still is going to be drag, the currents, the resistance against us. There are forces that work against your progress all the time that try to push you off course. Now, we sang and sang about, I mean, the, I love the worship, uh, uh, about the spiritual warfare that goes on, the victory that is there, about faith that moves a mountain. I believe that, and we are called to believe that. We're called to stand in that. But there are other forces, very much, that are pushing against us. John 16, says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. That's not some far off prophet. That's Jesus talking. That's word of Jesus. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We always have in us the one, the one who has overcome the world. So everything you need is there. Everything you need is in Jesus and Jesus is in you. I pray, but every mission is going to be affected by some outside forces. And that's what we're talking about. In the eighth beatitude, Jesus talks about two kinds of drag, two kinds of resistance. And the first is, is simply labeled as persecution for righteousness sake. And, and the second is like unto it. It's just kind of an expansion to be reviled and slandered for Jesus's name. And that this is going to be part of our journey, part of the resistance. And then he goes and makes this strange statement. And that both are a blessing. Blessed are those. Wow. I mean, I could have done without this eighth one. <laughs> I'll just do seven. On seven. In seven days, we had seven Beatitudes. But, and then I thought, you know, it's on that eighth day that we hit the world. We hit the, we hit the mission, right? And there's this resistance. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Let's read it out loud together. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Greek word is diokomenoi. Say that with me. Diokomenoi. It means to endure suffering. And in the scripture it means to endure suffering for Christ. To be mocked, ridiculed, criticized, ostracized, to be treated with hostility, even to be martyred. Now that's a lot of territory. It's a great big word. It's used three times in this one passage. So it must have been really, really important to Jesus that we understand this. After making that statement, and that's, this is all the eighth um, beatitude, Jesus expanded it in verses uh, 11 and 12. Uh, he, he expands the scope of this blessing. Blessed are you. And it's the first time that he goes to, to that kind of verbiage. Blessed are you when, you when others revile you and persecute. Am I reading this right? Yes. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, sometimes we think that scripture, you can just pluck one here and pluck one there and the order doesn't matter. I think it's very, very clear why Jesus didn't start with this one. You want to clear out a crowd? Start with this one. He didn't start with saying, come to, come to God so you can be in a kingdom where you'll be persecuted. That wasn't his first thing. 
He said, you need to understand where you are with God, that you are in great need. You need Jesus. You need God so bad. Come to Jesus and, and you'll be persecuted and reviled and all manner of evil spoken against you. Can you imagine? It's not a very good church campaign. Come and join the church of the slandered. <laughs> it just uh, doesn't really have the ring to it, does it? Yeah. So let's talk about it. what is persecution. Um, the word appears 34 times in the New Testament. That makes it pretty important. The root word actually means to pursue or be pursued, to be hunted down for capture. Hunted down. Wow. To be hunted for capture and prosecution for righteousness sake. That's what he's talking about here. Here's a, a perfect picture of this going on right now in Afghanistan. There are currently between 10,000 and 12,000 Christians in Afghanistan. These are not the Americans left behind. I'm, I'm very concerned for the Americans left behind. But these are converts from Islam. They're all converts. That's what it is, Islamic nation. Converts from Islam who are hiding from the Taliban. Their conversion is punishable by death under Sharia law. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what's going to happen day to day, night to night. They're hiding. They're running. This is persecution. I looked at these pictures. They come from one of the websites, one of the organizations that is trying to support those persecuted in Afghanistan. These kids look like they came from our youth group retreat, friends. This isn't some distant thing over there. It is distant, but it is not far from, from our hearts, and it's not far from the heart of Jesus. Last weekend was the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And I was so blessed to hear that on uh, our youth fall retreat, this was brought up and that prayer was brought because they were studying suffering and uh, to pray for the persecuted church. I don't know. We're in the blessed church and uh, there's a persecuted church. In the last year, over 340 million Christians were living under persecution. 4,761 Christians were killed for their faith, documentable, died for their faith. This isn't, this isn't 20 centuries ago, and this isn't during uh, you know, some peculiar time in history. This is right now. 40, 488 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked or burned, or, you know, both. 4,277 believers were detained without trial. They were arrested. They're sentenced. They're in prison. They don't know when they'll get out. That's documentable in the last year in our world. So this is the, at least a picture of the persecution that we're talking about. Now, there was a time when in Christian teaching, I, I, would, I would always say uh, that when I think of the blessings that we live in, I would never count myself among the persecuted. But I think we know things are changing and things have changed. A good deal. You know, persecution didn't start with all that. Persecution begins usually in small ways and it expands. And what was once tolerable and okay and not so bad, it becomes damaging and then becomes deadly. And so we need to know that there, this is a resistance. This is a drag that is upon us and can be upon us. And we need to know that. The next part where, where Jesus is expanding this, he says, and when others revile you, there's a, that's a particular Greek word. It's a different Greek word. And it, 
and it means, it's onedos, say that with me, onedos. It means to defame, rail, chide, or taunt. Now we're hearing more and more of that. You know, I, I, I've just been shocked in the last couple of years how often Christians and Christianity are all lumped together and derided and scolded and insulted and abused. That's what revile means, to verbally abuse or insult, to speak all kinds of evil, evil against you on my account. Now, that's the thing. It's not a matter of you insulted someone in their politics, so they got all mad and yelled at you. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about on my account, on, on account of the gospel. In another setting, uh, Jesus was teaching this same thought. It's recorded in the Gospel of Luke. It's called the Sermon on the Plain. I always want to say, what kind of airplane? That's that's a preacher joke. Okay, you can, come on, you can laugh with me a little bit. All right. But the Sermon on the Plain, the flat area, he, he phrased it this way, a little different. Blessed are you when people hate you. Really? And when they exclude you. And revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. On account of the Son of Man. Why don't we say that last phrase? On account of the Son of Man. They're not hating you. They're hating Jesus in you. And the message of Jesus that you are speaking. I think it's no accident that this final beatitude um, follows the one about peacemaking which is our purpose. Peacemakers are not always welcomed. They're not always welcomed in the, in the workplace. They're not always welcomed in neighborhoods and even in families. Uh, the world and the way of the world will reject the way of the peacemaker. 1 John 3 says it this way, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The world doesn't know him. And so they're baffled. They don't know why you do what you do. They don't know why you you have happiness, they would call it. We call it joy. They don't know why you have peace in this world. They don't know why you're so patient. They, They can't figure this out because they don't have Jesus in them and they don't understand it. The world is not always going to be very excited when we start to talk about reconciliation. They're not going to want to hear that. And so last week as I was teaching on this, I thought, you know, it doesn't always come out. It doesn't always come the way at least that we would hope for it to come out. I learned over a long period of time, don't expect the world to act in any way but worldly. Because it's, it's what it, it is. That doesn't mean there's no hope. It means continue to bring the gospel. Con, con, continue to bring hope and joy. First John chapter 2 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. We looked at it a few moments ago. These blessings are narrowly specific. They're, they're not just persecution for any sort of situation. Uh, but and yet they're broadly applicable. We're, this is about being persecuted because of righteousness. Those determined to live as Jesus lived because of me, there will be persecution. There will be resistance. There's going to be drag. 
and those who refuse to deny the name of Jesus. That's a big one. It's happened, you know, to pastors in different places. They're working in an organization. They say, we'd like you to pray, but could you not pray in the name of Jesus? We'd like for you to, to uh, uh, teach on this, but could you not, just don't mention the Jesus thing. And, and while some would go along initially, more and more, the, the determination is, no, I, I cannot not mention the name. Of, I will not deny him in this place. And you know all of the reasons why. So here's the bottom line. If you seek to live a righteous life and refuse to detach the name of Jesus from what you do, you will very likely be persecuted in some way and have evil slander against you at some point. I remember we were on one of our marriage cruises and and I was sitting uh, on the beach and I was overhearing a conversation. Uh, nearby, and I wasn't trying to, to eavesdrop or anything like that. They, I just couldn't help but hear this conversation, and I realized they were talking about some things going on in the nation, this and that, and they started talking about those right-wing Christian wackos. And I listened a little bit more, <laughs> and I realized, oh my, they're talking about me. <laughs> they weren't talking about some extreme weird thing that I could teach you about. They, they were talking about us, about people with orthodox beliefs who believe in the Bible. So now we have the question, exactly how is persecution and being reviled a blessing? We we studied blessing. Blessing means to flourish. How do we flourish in that? Let me show you. Three different ways. First thing about blessing is that this drag is a blessing beyond this mortal life. And it's right here in the text, in, in, in verse 12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Your reward is great. Say that with me. Your reward is great in heaven. And we may come to places where we feel like we've lost everything. We've not lost everything. We've gained everything. And we lost something on this earth. We may have lost reputation. We may have lost influence. may have lost a job. Whatever. But we've gained everything, and we don't want to lose sight of that. There is a reward in eternity, so be cheerful and happy, the scripture is saying. In Luke's version on the plane, he says, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. Matthew 16 says it. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so that's where we need to be. We also realize in the last part of verse 12 that you're in good company, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're in good company. We are connected to what the book of Hebrews calls a a great cloud of witnesses. Hebrews 11.35, it's a marvelous chapter. I won't read the whole thing, but it talks about how some were tortured, refusing to accept release. They, They would not be released. Just renounce the name of Jesus and you can get out of this. No. Not going to do it. So that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. So there is a good cloud of witnesses, a good company. The second part of the blessing is that drag actually builds us, builds endurance. You know, I've seen a lot of people, a lot of friends who have gone and they've run races recently. They had the races over at Disney and... Uh, you know, the half marathon and the 10K, 5K. 
And you don't go and run a half marathon just because you decided the day before. You train. You have to train. You don't survive if you do that. (laughs) So you train, and resistance makes us stronger. Persevering through trial builds endurance. James uh, said it this way in the first chapter of his letter. When troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. It's a good thing. When troubles come your way. Now, I believe very much in praying for the mountain to move. And I believe very much in, in believing in victory. But this is a little bit different part of our message. When troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Very, very powerful part of Scripture. Because it talks about being stronger. Why do we need to be stronger? Well, our character is stronger, but we're ready for the next thing that's in the path, the next trial that is out there ahead of us. Romans chapter 5 says it this way, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. There's that word. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So even in the times of resistance, the time of drag, the the resistance against us, we are gaining endurance, and he has purpose in that. 1 Peter 2, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. You know, more and more we realize that the Christian journey, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's long. And endurance to the end. It's not how you started. It's not even how you did in the middle. It's endurance to the end that matters. Hebrews 10. You have need of endurance. We were studying this this past week. Uh, in our Dr. David Jeremiah class, and it's so marvelous. You have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. He's building strength of character in us. I was reminded of something that Rick Warren uh, wrote, and I love it. I, I, it came to my mind, and I thought, oh, I wrote that. And then I, I looked it up. No, Rick Warren said it first. So um, I was going to give it to the famous theologian. That God is more interested in your character than in your comfort. God is more interested in making your life holy than he is in making your life happy. Wow. The third blessing in this is that persecution grows our faith and grows the mission of the church. There's a saying that goes way back to Tertullian, who was a second century church father, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Why don't you say that with me? The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. You know, uh, this past weekend, there was prayer for the persecuted, and Pastor Ann shared with the youth group that those in those places of persecution often say, don't pray for the persecution to go away, because God is doing this amazing work. The church thrives in times of persecution. That goes back to the very beginning. Acts chapter 8, I want to read just a few verses. 
it was after the death of the first martyr, Stephen, and Saul approved of his execution. So all we know is going to be changed. <laughs> he approved of the execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the persecution brought about a scattering. That's terrible. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women. He hunted them down and committed them to prison. And those who were scattered were going about preaching the word. So this is how the church went out, <laughs> was through persecution. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, that's like the enemy territory, and proclaimed to them Christ. And the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. There was much joy in that city. Out of the persecution came this amazing, it's not really a revival, it's a provival. It's an expansion, evangelistic pouring out. So my last question, what, how do we deal with drag? What do we do? Because there's this force, we have gravity and we know we can be free of that by faith. But how do we deal with this thing that resists, that pushes against us? So I'm going to give you just a couple things. The first is we declare our trust that God has things in control. And so many times it's easy to forget that. We get all caught up in what's on the news and what's going on. And we just, we get all in a tizzy and forget God's got it under control. Amen. We declare our trust that God has things in control. He has plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Don't forget that. And the second is a, a phrase that we were studying this week with Dr. David Jeremiah. I had never thought of this phrase. He says, embrace adversity. Say that with me. Embrace adversity. I wouldn't have thought of that. And I, this image of embracing, taking close your adversity. Wow. You know, it, it, it's profound. And it goes back to that Romans chapter 5, knowing that the suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. God's at work. And so embrace the adversity. And third, learn to rejoice in the most difficult of times. You know, I notice that it's easy to worship in easy times. And yet, honestly, in the easy times, the churches are not very full. You know, the time in my ministry when I remember churches being packed two different times, it was the beginning of the Gulf War, we were packed. Oh, man. And then after 9-11, packed, people came to church. Because they, they're going, I don't know what's going on. We need to worship all the time. We need to draw close. And especially when there's resistance out there. I like the Tiffany pastor, I mean the... the the uh, passion translation. So leap for joy. Since your heavenly reward is great. 
For you are being rejected the same way that the prophets were before you. Leap for joy. Have that. I'd like us to pray. Father God, we pray for the persecuted church. People who this night don't know if they'll make it through the night. People who are being hunted because of the name of Jesus. People who have been arrested because of the name of Jesus. People who could have dropped the name of Jesus, could have dropped the way of Christ and and walked away, but they refused. Oh God, be with them today. I pray for the body of Christ as we face increasing resistance, increasing persecution. At times when we don't understand why we are reviled by people we've never met. Why we are spoken against by people that that we've never engaged with and yet we hear that. Because we believe in the Bible, because we believe in Jesus. We carry the message of peace. God, we pray for the world that is around us, the body of Christ that is engaging this world with the message of peace. And God, I pray that we would never waste these moments Teach us how to embrace adversity and teach us the lessons of endurance and patience. Show us the way of witness, no matter the circumstance, so that we may be instruments of your peace. It may be that you are hearing this, maybe online or maybe here in person, and you realize, I've never begun the first very moment of ignition and I realize how how spiritually bankrupt I am and God I need you I don't even know all that I need but come into me and start me on this launch start me on this journey set me on the path move me in the plan that you have for me God I thank you that you are with us in these days and that you continue to walk with us in this time In Jesus' name.